And I'm thankful for a couple groups of people this morning. Number one, our worship team. Um, I almost feel like we could just spend a little bit more time fellowshipping and go home and just skip this part after that. Um, if you don't know, they spend a lot of time um, searching out music, music, making sure that it's, that it's theologically sound, that there's biblical truth in those songs, and then they spend a lot of time practicing, and I'm so thankful for them. And on mornings like these, I'm also very thankful for our deacons. If you're a deacon, um, stand up, would you? No one's, oh, did they all go home? We, hey, good to see you. We got one back there. No, these guys keep the church running when we're not here. When it's cold and snowy, they make sure the sidewalks are cleared. They run the van this morning. And so um, I'm just so thankful that um, Sunday mornings can be very, very busy. They want to be with their families, but they also make sure that, um, that we are ready to come here, that you can walk in here, not slip and fall and, and hurt yourself and things like that. So um, with that being said, I, I'm so happy to be with you this morning. Um, we're diving back into our series on spiritual disciplines, and um, I'm sure most of you may cringe a little bit when you hear the word discipline. How many of you like discipline? Yeah, I don't see any hands right now. We don't like discipline. Usually we conjure up negative things, either we're being disciplined or lots of times we're having to discipline ourselves to do something that's not particularly fun, right? Whether that's eating right or, or, or working out or something at work or, or something like that. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but do you, did you ever think about the fact that we don't have to discipline ourselves to sin, Right? Do you ever think about that? Like, we don't have to discipline ourselves to not eat right or to lay around the house and watch the game. And there's a reason for that because we are naturally sinful, right? It's the depravity of man. We, we sin without even having to think about it. And we've all experienced that. We're, we're trying to do the right thing, and all of a sudden, we're sinning, right? So our heart is desperately wicked. The Bible says, who can understand it? But we must discipline ourselves. We must pay attention to these spiritual disciplines um, because it comes, it's, it's our faith, right? We accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, and as part of that, we need to discipline ourselves um, as part of that. But there's another reason for that. Turn with me to Philippians, and that's where we're going to be this morning. We're going to be in Philippians 4, but turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. And the Apostle Paul here tells us something very, um, very important. And this is going to be our underlying theme for us this morning, but this is also an under, one of the underlying themes that Paul has in the book of Philippians. Chapter 3, we're in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. It says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So that's why spiritual disciplines are important in the Christian life, because Jesus Christ has made us his own. And so we need to act in light of that. Some of you may know Kent Hughes. He has a book that's, that's titled Disciplines of a Godly Man. And he gives real-world examples of, of athletes and others who demonstrate discipline. One of them that I thought was interesting was NBA Stephen Curry, or known as Steph Curry. I, Probably lost some cool points by even calling him Stephen, didn't I? If I had any cool points when I got up here. But anyways, regardless, Steph Curry. He's known for, if you don't know, he's known for holding 
the record for the most three-point shots. Now, often what do we do? We say, well, he's just super athletic. He was born that way, something like that. Or maybe he's just lucky. But Hughes documents actually what his disciplined practice regimen is. Listen to this. In the offseason, Curry, Curry practices three hours a day, six days a week. But here's where it gets crazy. During, this practice, during these practices, he will shoot six to 700 baskets, only counting those that he makes. Think about that, Right? On intense days, those aren't even intense days. On intense days, the number increases to at least 1,000. These are examples, this is an example of very disciplined behavior, right? These are the patterns that allows him to be good at his craft. He doesn't just walk onto the court and he's able to shoot three-point baskets. So some of you may be saying, okay, what does that have to do with prayer or spiritual disciplines? Let me read for you 1 Timothy 4, uh, chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. Because the Apostle Paul instructs Timothy on these same levels of dis- discipline. He says, Have nothing to do with um, irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training of, is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope setting on the living or set on the living God who is the savior of all people, especially of those who believe. This is why we need to discipline ourselves. This is why we need to toil and strive. The apostle Paul, the Jew of Jews, the Hebrew of Hebrews needs to toil and strive and he's instructing the young pastor Timothy to do that. So today, As I said, we're going to consider the the discipline of prayer and the instruction that the Apostle Paul has for us as uh, as well as the Philippian church. So real quickly before we get to our text, I just want to give us some real context to this letter because it's very, very important that we see some underlying themes. First of all, the, one of the major or the major theme that we see here in this book or this letter is the, the idea of joy and rejoicing. Joy is used four different times in these short few uh, or four chapters, and rejoice is used nine times. Now, if you don't know, the Apostle Paul is writing this from prison. He's chained to a Roman guard, and he's hundreds of miles away from the Philippian church, and this is his theme. But even more important is the source of the joy in rejoicing. Paul leads through this book, he leads us on a path that actually gives us the source and the application of our joy. You're already hopefully in uh, Philippians 3. If you go up to verse 1, he says this, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble for me at all, and it's safe for you. This is not a pull yourself up by the bootstraps, just be a stoic, just get over it, and rejoice and be joyful. No, as he is chained to a Roman guard, he says, rejoice, what? In the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. And if this is the, if this is the case, it, or, or if, if, we, if it was up to us, how would we actually do? And some of you have lived that. How would we actually do if it was just up to us to find joy? And I'm hoping one of the things that we take from our text this morning is that it, it's not us. And when we, start to, when we start with us, that's where we go wrong. 
So why? Why are we rejoicing in the Lord? Well, the apostle gives us a comparison. Skip a few verses down to verse 17. He gives us a comparison between the world and the believer, or the one that rejoices in the Lord. Verse 17 says, brothers, join, me in imi- join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. They set their minds on earthly things. But continuing verse 20 A big important word right there, but. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So destruction comes from making themselves, he's, he's writing about the, those others who are not believers in, in Philippi, and um, theirs comes from making themselves a god. It leads to destruction. Their minds are set on earthly things. But our citizenship is heaven where Christ is. Aren't you glad this morning that our bodies will be transformed to be like Christ's body? That should bring you joy right now. If you are in Christ right now, you should find joy in that. And so we come to chapter 4. And we'll see where our path ends with very, very practical application. I wish we had time to go all through that book, all through this book. But in chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says, Therefore. Therefore points to what he has just said. He says, therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Stand firm. We rejoice and stand firm in the fact that if you're a believer this morning, if you have accepted Christ's death and burial on your behalf and believe in his resurrection, you can and should rejoice You can stand firm because your citizenship is in heaven, because you are in Christ. So the question that we have this morning is, how should this manifest itself in our daily lives? What does this mean? What is the so what? And one of those ways, one of many ways, is that is, that is in the discipline of daily prayer, which brings us to our text. So if you're not already in Philippians, turn over to Philippians chapter 4. And while you're turning there, um, I, I want to say that this is not the, of course, the only scripture that deals with prayer. In fact, some of you may be surprised that we're going here this morning. But there's a couple reason I, reasons I picked, picked this text. Number one, I know some of you are dealing with, with real trial. Some of you need joy. Some of you need rejoicing. Some of you are dealing with anxiety. And as I said, this, this, this hits hard. And just as Pastor Dan prayed earlier, I hope you don't hear me this morning. I hope you hear God speaking through me, and you will really contemplate what God has for us this morning in this text. 
I need this text. You've often heard Pastor Dan and others talk about preaching the text to ourselves as we study. And, and that happened. And it's quite sobering. It's quite humbling. So, let's go to our text this morning. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. And after, in, in verse 4, Paul has told them to rejoice again. He has told them, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. We have chapter 6, or verse 6, I'm sorry. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that you would help us, that you would help us see the amazing truth that you had for us the amazing comfort that you have for us, the fact that it doesn't come from us. It is all through Christ. And it is all ultimately because you love us. The sovereign God of the universe loves us so much, he, you send your son to die for us, and then you comfort us through him. So Father, I pray that as we look at this, that it will speak to our hearts. It will teach us what we need to, to be taught it will convict us where we need convicting. And Father, then as we leave here later on this morning, that we will leave as changed people, that we will leave with a, a joy, a peace that surpasses all understanding. So Father, thank you. Thank you for your word and thank you for this time that we have together. And we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. So this morning in our text, we are going to see four ingredients of disciplined prayer that will allow you to have peace in every circumstance. How many of you are right now saying, okay, right, I got to hear this. I'm just going to show you the text, right? We're just going to go where God has us this morning. So four ingredients. Number one, prayer. Number two, our pleading or supplication. Number three, our praise. And number four, God's primacy. So prayer, pleading, praise, and God's primacy. So our first point is prayer. And some of you may be thinking, okay, prayer is an ingredient of disciplined prayer. Like, are, why are you repeating yourself? You may be saying, isn't this redundant? And it is. But how many of you this morning wish you had a more fulfilling prayer life? A prayer life that allowed you to draw closer to God. I'm sure most of you, if not all of you, would say, yeah, I want that. So I have a question for you this morning. Are you praying? What does it look like? Do you almost instinctively go to God in prayer? Here's the bigger question. Do you pray about everything? Look at verse 6. These commands, and they are commands, the Apostle Paul has apostolic authority through the Holy Spirit, through his commissioning to give us commands. These are God's commands for us. 
Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Do not be anxious about anything. There's not one thing that you should be anxious about. I want that to sink in for just a second. There's a period. There's only a couple words there. Do not be anxious, period. There's no qualifiers, right? But what are we supposed to do? Pray about everything. The totality of all things. No exceptions. Pray about everything. What does that include? Everything. The, the, the daily things that seem mundane to you. Your drive to work. The meeting you're preparing for. Your lunch with a colleague. Moms, how many of you pray about your chores? About trying to keep up the house? Trying to make sure the laundry's done? How about the dishes? Do you talk to them about the dishes? About your grocery trip? Kids, teens, do you pray about your homework? Do you pray about your friendships? Do you pray about your state testing? Do you pray about the sports you play? Do you see what I'm getting at here? It's everything. There's, there's no exceptions here. And this may seem strange. Some of you may think that this is strange. And my question is, why? Why is it strange to us? And I'm the first one. I'm, I'm the first one that, that we go through our days and we have preconceived notions that I would say that, that are not found in the Bible. I think that's one of our big things. We, we come up with these things about prayer that we don't find in Scripture. Maybe one of them is the position of our bodies when we pray. You feel like, well, I got to kind of, you know, have my hands together. I got to bow and I got to be on my knees. I got to do certain things. And there is a time to be low before God, to be on our knees. And some of you have experienced that. But I just real quickly want to give you, there's many postures in the Bible that we see with those that are praying. In Genesis 24 through 52, bowing down to the earth. In Acts 21, 5, kneeling. Matthew 26, 39, prostrated on their face. 2 Samuel 7, 18, sitting. Luke 18, 10 through 13, standing. There's no prerequisite for how you are positioned when you pray. See, the focus is not on you, what you're doing when you pray. The focus should be who you're focused on when you pray. That's what the apostle is talking about here. In Christ. Is it yourself or is it the one that actually gives you breath? When you pray, is it about yourself or is it the one who carefully knits you together in your mother's womb. Talk to him. Acknowledge who he is. Tell him your fears. Tell him all your thoughts. Ask him to help you. And another thing too, how many of you, if you would have walked in the front door this morning and Pastor Dan or one of the elders or someone walked up and said, hey, 
we have a lot of sickness in the church. The elders are out. I need you to pray this morning. How many of you would have done an about face and walked right back out the door? Maybe ran out the door. But see, you don't, you don't need to worry about that. Why do I say that? You don't need to worry about praying about the wrong things or not praying the right way. Right. Why? Because it's everything. Pray about everything. Whatever God puts on your heart, whatever you're dealing with, wants to hear it. And so Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tells us that God of, the God of the universe wants you to talk to him about everything. And you may be thinking right now, okay, you've said it, move on. But I think it's so easy to fall down on this. It's so easy to not get this right. We think there's, well, this is too small for God. Well, that's contrary to the command here. There's nothing too small, nothing too big. Take everything to God. In Luke 18, Jesus taught the disciples the same thing, taught them the, the exact same thing in the, in the parable of the persistent widow. This is what he says in verse 1. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. This is Jesus, our Savior, saying, always pray. And it's not, as I said earlier, a couple minutes ago, it's not, it's not unusual to get, to get nervous when you pray. It's nerve-wracking for me. It's nerve-wracking nerve to be up here right now. Because we do want to honor God. We do want to pray um, for, for uh, we, we want to pray for those things that matter. We want to sound good. We don't want to stumble over our words. But that is not at all what, we're, what is called for here. So hopefully this command eliminates the concern you have about praying. Just to, in case you missed it, pray about everything. Pray what's on your heart. And you know what? If you struggle with your words, we're given comfort. Romans 8, 26 through 27. Paul writes, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. How many of you are weak this morning? How many of you feel weak in your prayer? It's okay. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So you don't need to worry. But you do need to pray about everything. They should never end. And listen, here's a little bit of an admonishment for you. If you send more text messages, more Snapchats, than prayers to God, I think there's a problem. If you spend more time, how many of you love YouTube? I, I love YouTube. Yeah. I couldn't do anything around the house without YouTube. But YouTube will suck you in. And here's the thing, if you spend more time on YouTube, scrolling the internet, on Instagram, than you do at the throne of God, I hope you would agree with me that there's a problem, especially in light of these commands that we're seeing this morning. And I want to say it again, I'm not pointing fingers at you. I'm pointing fingers at myself first. We can all learn from this. 
And see, we need to understand one of the places we get from, or one of the, the, the reasons that we get joy and we can have joy is that, again, I want to say this, the creator of the universe loves you so much that he wants to be in constant dialogue with you. Is that not awesome? Is that not an amazing thought? But it doesn't make sense that the God of the universe, the creator, would only get 15 minutes of your time at the beginning of the day. Well, I've done my prayer time in the morning before I go to work. So just like Dave talked about our scripture reading, check, move on. And then you go out into the world and you just stop. You stop talking to God. And the other thing too that we need to understand is what this is telling us is that our prayer life should not be um, only in place when there's significant trials in our life. It's almost like a break glass of in, in case of emergency thing, right? Okay, well, yes, we pray, and, and we pray when things really get hard. Of course we do that. But what about the rest of the time? Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, rejoice always. Again, you see this. If you work through the epistles, you see this in Paul. But he says in verse 17, pray without ceasing. Not just about everything. Now he's up the ante a little bit. Pray without ceasing. Not about just everything, but don't stop. Don't stop praying. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is God's will for you and I this morning. That we pray without ceasing. That we give thanks in all circumstances. And we're going to see that here in a couple minutes in our text. Because it's the will of God for you. But Paul in our text, back in our text, Paul doesn't just tell them to pray. Look back in verse 6. But in everything by prayer and supplication. Supplication. Paul connects prayer with supplication again in Ephesians 6, 17 through 18. He's saying, he's talking about the, the armor. And he says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. So when we look at supplication, that's our next point, our pleading, our supplication. So we have prayer and then we have supplication or pleading. And the, this is not synonymous, okay? Paul is not saying pray and pray. Supplication is something totally different. Now, you're probably going to laugh at this, but this is the thought that came in my head. You know when you're kids, right, and you want whatever the thing is that you want, right? Picture yourself. We've all been here. It's coming up on Christmas time or something, and what do we do? Please. If I can just have the, the video game, I promise I won't punch my brother anymore. I'll do the dishes forever and ever. Amen. Now, that's kind of funny, but is, is, it like, is that where we are right then, right? We want whatever it wants so, we, whatever we want so bad. We want that thing. But in all seriousness, prayers of supplication are seen all through the Psalms. I want to give you a couple here. You can turn if you want to. I'm just going to go through them real quickly. You can note, note them down and, and, uh, and look at them later. 
Psalm 4.1. Listen to this. Answer me when I call, O God, for, of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. Psalm 6.4. Turn, O Lord. Deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. Psalm 130, this, this is really good. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. Some of you may have prayed this way. Some may have never been here. You've gone through trials, but you've never prayed like that. And I don't know about you, but when I read those prayers, you can almost hear the psalmist, hear him pleading and, and crying. You can almost see the psalmist on their knees before the Lord, crying out. That's supplication. That's what supplication is. And if, you're, if, if you are here today and you are a believer, that is the first prayer that God ever heard from you. You may be thinking, what? I prayed a lot before I was saved, before I accepted Jesus Christ as, as my Savior. The first prayer that God hears from us as believers is us pleading for salvation. Turn with me to Psalm 66. I'll tell you why. Psalm 66. Verses 18 through 20. It says, If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love for me. God does not hear prayers of those who are unrepentant, who have not turned from their sins. God hears us when we cry out, when we repent of our sins, when we come to him. It's a time when nothing else matters, when we are at our lowest, when we are humble before the Lord. We've tried everything. But here's the thing. Even in those times of trial, we're still told to not be anxious for anything. Do not be anxious, but in everything through prayer and supplication. So this brings us to our last two points this morning. And we'll look at these together. Because I think it's safe to assume that, that all, of, all of you within the sound of my voice have, have experienced disappointment. You've attempted to be thankful. You've attempted to make yourself happy based on the world, based on your own abilities. And how's that gone? How many of you would say that it's gone well? Because we see every day that the world fails us, that we fail at every turn. So let's look at our last two ingredients very, very quickly. Our praise. First, our praise. 
Again, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. There's an attachment there we can't get away from. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Paul doesn't write this like we tell our kids, like, well, you really need to be thankful for everything we've given you. You know, I'm not picking, I feel, I feel like I'm picking on kids today. I don't mean to. But we say those things, right? Well, you need to be thankful. That, that's not what Paul's talking about here. Of course, we do need to be thankful. James 1.17 says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, right? We do need to teach our kids to be thankful for what they have. It is from God. But the command is to be thankful, or the command to be thankful is God's will for our lives, We've already seen that. In everything, gives th- give thanks. This is the will of God. And so maybe you're here today and you would say, Aaron, you don't even understand. Great, you're up there. You're saying be thankful in everything. Pray about everything. I'm, you're telling me I'm so overcome with grief. I don't even know what to be thankful for. I'm just trying to breathe right now. Let me give you some comfort through, through God's word. And I'm going to make this very, very quick. Romans 8, 28. Some of you know this very well. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Do you believe that this morning? If you don't, here's another one. 1 Peter 5, 10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Through that, through that truth, our prayers should be bathed in, in, in prayer, in, in supplication, and, and thanksgiving. Because God, in every situation, will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Do you believe that this morning? You have to deal with this. Do you believe what we're seeing this morning. If you're a Christian here today, you must. It's a command. Why? Because God's primacy. He is sovereign over all things. Job realized this when his friend told him in Job 34, through, uh, 34 14 through 15, says, if he, being God, should set his heart to it and gather to himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh would perish together and man would return to dust. Every breath that we take to pray is given to us by God. Is that not amazing? When we pray to him, our ability to even utter words, to whisper words, to pray under our breath would not even be possible without God giving us every single breath. I hope that gives us security. I hope that gives us a reason this morning to take everything to him, to not sit here on this earth as broken sinners and try to figure out and triage what goes to God and what doesn't go to God. Jesus tells his followers on the Sermon on the Mount, and when you pray, Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. He's sovereign. You you are not notifying him of anything, just so you know. You don't need to worry about saying the right things and like writing out the memo to God in a way that he'll accept it like you may do your boss. No, you need to pray because he already knows what you're praying about. This is a form of worship. 
And so to aid us in our attitude with our approach to God in prayer, we must remember that. We don't keep him informed. We're not letting him know anything. He's just commanding us to pray. And remember who he is. Again, Sermon on the Mount, the disciples' prayer. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so our hearts have to be right. We have, when we approach God, he is sovereign. We're not approaching just anybody else out there. We need to be humble. Because what we see here is that God gives us peace. In fact, in verse 7, look with me, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Do you want that peace this morning? This surpasses all understanding? Look what that peace does. Look what God does. He guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. The original language there, it's to keep. He will keep your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So I want to leave you with this thought. The one that makes peace with God guarantees the peace of God in our lives. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm going to repeat it. The one that makes peace with God guarantees the peace of God in our lives. Jesus Christ, who makes peace with God, washes away our sin, is also the one who guarantees the peace of God in our lives. We have it right there. It's through Christ. 2 Corinthians 1, 20 through 22 says this, For all the promises of God find their yes in him, being Christ. So I pray this morning I could have gone a lot further. There's so many more implications from our text. I pray this morning that God has revealed to you through not my preaching, but God's word, that regardless of your situation, that you can go to him, even though he's a powerful God and we see things in scripture about he pours out wrath on sin. He gives us breath. He moves mountains. He doesn't deal with us like we deserve. He wants a dialogue with us. Those who have sinned against him, he wants to hear from us and he wants to hear everything. But however, this morning, if you are not a child of God, if you have not accepted Christ as your Savior, you don't have these promises. It is up to the world to make you happy. You're going to be searching around the world looking for joy and rejoicing in the world. And again, I think everyone in this room easily has been failed by the world once or a thousand times. And let me leave you with this. Musicians, you can go ahead and come on up. Let me leave you with this. Does it make any sense to trust in Christ for your deliverance, for your eternity, but not pray to him about everything? Does that even make, even in our feeble minds, does that make any sense? That's why God can say, be still and know that I am God. Because he has done all things for us. He gives us breath. He has created us and he has sent a savior 
so that we can enjoy and thankfulness, go to him in prayer about everything. And he gives us a way to approach him through the Holy Spirit. What an awesome thing that is. Let us go to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we did not even touch, we didn't even scratch the surface of what our prayer life should be, what it means to approach your throne, what it means to approach the God of the universe, the Alpha and the the Omega, the Almighty One. But Father, even if we had endless time, we would fumble around, I would fumble around. We would not do it justice. Father, I pray this morning that we would simply follow your instruction, that we would let go of our anxiousness, that we would follow that command and we would commit all things to you even though we can be concerned, just like Christ was concerned, that we don't sit on this earth wringing our hands, dealing with medical issues, losing sleep, while all along the God of the universe, you are on your throne telling us to just come to you. And you will uphold us. All things will be for good. So Father, thank you for that. Thank you that you have, or that we have your word that we can study and we can contemplate and we can pray over because it is all that we need for life and godliness. So Father, thank you. We love you and we ask all this in Jesus Christ's name, amen.